This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is April 18th. We're recording on a Monday. Um, you know, in terms of the markets, we saw a slightly down day. Dow was down a clip. Uh, I mean, S&P was pretty much flat. And in a day at below, uh, went down 0.02%. VIX was down a little over 2%. Uh, but yeah, more or less a flat day. TSA announced that they won't enforce COVID mask mandates on planes and public transit after a recent court ruling. So that's a big, uh, you know, it's, it's a big, big mention. In terms of we're, we're definitely also well into earnings seasons. Some other things to note is that uh, utilities have really been soaring. Last couple of weeks, we've seen treasuries have been getting crushed. Uh, yields on treasuries are I, it's at the highest in three years, and we have to keep saying that because uh, you know the next week it's it's another three year uh, record, right? But but right now, uh, I mean, they're pretty much sitting at two point eight five percent on a ten year yield, uh, which 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 kind of makes it interesting that uh, utilities have have soared recently as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the general update. Earnings have been very good across the board. Uh, when we're looking at banks, uh, with the exception of J.P. Morgan, but apart from that, most of the banks have reported pretty strong earnings. Uh, Grant, anything we, we should mention? A couple things. I think the big one that everyone's been talking about is the Twitter Elon Musk saga. Seems like we're there's new fireworks happening each day. So uh, we saw the ex-CEO, Jack Dorsey, come out and criticize the company's board over a series of tweets yesterday uh, as the board is continuing to consider the $23 billion bid from Tesla's CEO to buy the company and take it private. Uh, Dorsey does still sit on the board. Looks like he will leave once his term ends. Uh, we did see over the weekend that Twitter's board adopted a so-called poison pill which really came out in the 1980s when there was the corporate raiders. And really that just dilutes the shares um, and sell shares at a discount to anyone. So people can't get to that 15% of outstanding stock. So continuing to watch Twitter, a couple other big ones, Drew, we see the big movers. So Twitter shares have rose 7.5% since Friday. Uh, Bank of America also jumped up 3.4% as they beat earnings um, really by the strength of their consumer lending. So as rates are, are going up, that's one thing to take a look at, especially these banks, because the cost to issue loans is typically fixed. And then if they can charge a, a higher rate, typically banks become a little more profitable. However, not many people or may price people out with, with higher rates. Uh, and then the other big one that I think uh, we should just mention, Drew, and then I'll turn it back over to you, is Charles Schwab dropped almost 10% after they missed earnings pretty much everywhere. They missed top and bottom lines uh, for the first quarter. So we saw them take a little bit of a nosedive here today. Yeah, Twitter employees have not been happy. 68% uh, of Twitter employees say they disapprove of Elon Musk's tweets about the company's strategy. And... 78% says he doesn't have the best interests of Twitter 
and its uh, shareholders and mines, um, which is a weird discrepancy, right? Because if, you know, there's a margin of 10% of people who don't think he has the best interest in mind, um, but th- that implies that a bunch of those people also approve of what he's doing. So, uh, you know, an odd poll, but to say the least, you know, a lot of unhappy employers um, so far, uh, you know, in, in due to Elon's kind of, you know, his, 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 his moves, his moves to acquire a big, big part of the company. In terms of inflation, when we look at the New York Fed survey in March, uh, consumers might see inflation hitting 6.6% over the next year. I mean, that's a 10% increase in the median expectation uh, from the past month. And, and that'd be the highest level in the series that dates to, uh, to 2013. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, right now the Fed is in a very difficult position. They're trying to cut inflation by four points, but yet land the plane in a way that doesn't really destroy, you know, demand and, and, and jobs and, and and the employment model, right? So how do we do this without really ending up in a double dip recession, which is really what's on the top of everyone's mind. But it is, but if you also strip out energy and food, the two most volatile inflation was actually below the the expectations um so you know we we are hearing hearing recessionary calls we did see that the two and the 10 year didn't burn uh so overall that typically is a pretty big indicator but one thing to keep in mind is we did see wage gains hold steady at about three percent um, unemployment is still relatively low at 3.6, just above where we were uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, so labor force remains just one percentage point lower. So we are getting close to that. Uh, we did see some Fed comments from Patrick uh, Harker thinking that the U.S. will avoid recession. Really, his comments following the inversion uh, typically, when we do have that inversion, it needs to last a, a period of time just because it inverts doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's that ominous indicator that we all look at. One other thing to keep in mind, Drew, is we do see consumers are still you know, very flush with cash. So if we look at deposits, those are still very, very strong. We also continue to see housing prices rise. So that's helping a lot of households. Um, earn some equity in their homes. Next next rate hike, I think we are going to see a 50 basis point rate hike. Uh, so that's one thing I would I would see. The Fed is really going to, I think, aggressively take some steps here, uh, jacking up that the fund Fed rate. Yeah, Arker certainly thinks that we can avoid a recession. I mean, Goldman analysts, I, I think they put the likelihood of a 35 percent. Um, Put that in those, but I think that's kind of the reading, at least uh, today and, and yesterday. But you know that, that that also indicates a good chance that obviously we we can come out of this thing uh, without really offsetting all the lot of gains we've made in terms of employment and and wage growth and uh, labor force participation, which while it's still down about a percentage point from from what it was pre pandemic, it, it is better than obviously uh, the start of this crisis. We are hearing the word stagflation be thrown around, especially when we talk about uh, the rising risk of what people call a lost decade. 
And really a, a lost decade is defined as a period of poor real returns. So Goldman Sachs thinks that we may be, be entering this uh, stagflation. I, I pulled the definition from Investopedia, but really stagflation is characterized by slow economic growth and relatively high unemployment. Um, another way to think about it is a period of inflation combined with decline in gross domestic product. And still, in my personal opinion, I don't think we are there yet, even though there are signals, because we just talked about it, Drew, is our unemployment is at 3.6%, even though economic growth is is still strong and growing, we're not slowing at the moment. Um, but there are some indicators. So, Drew, do you think that we are headed for one of these lost decades? Well, I, I think that when we're looking at a traditional 60-40 model, it's going to be more difficult in a rising interest rate environment for uh, fixed income to yield the same returns it certainly has over the last 30 years. So you know, I, I don't know. It, it may be that investors will have to ultimately take on take on some more risk or or diversify right from kind of the more vanilla cookie cookie cutter 60 equities uh 40 percent bonds so that could certainly be the case uh, i mean when we look at the u.s we had something of a lost decade in between 2000 to 2009 but you know the, the calendar is obviously fixed in such a way that we we it just worked that way right you had three years of a dot-com um bubble bursting which led to down years for three consecutive uh calendar years and then and then 2008 you had the massive sell-off as a result of the housing crisis i mean when you put the rest of the decade apart from that uh we certainly haven't seen that uh i mean but it, it has definitely been the case in europe they have existed. Uh, they they've occurred in World War One, World War Two, and, and the seventies. It's just been a long time since we've seen seen a a lost decade and a drawdown like that. But you know, I mean, with valuations the way they are, um, you know, with a lot of increased geopolitical risk, there might be a different paragraph, uh, paradigm. And you know, I, I guess with just general macroeconomic clients, uh, aging population. Uh, you name it, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this next decade is obviously way more sluggish than the last. Uh, if not, it, it might even be flat. We'll see. But um, but yeah, I guess I wouldn't be surprised. What about yourself? You see, to your point, the World War One, World War II, 70s, those were following a strong bull market where we had elevated valuations, which we are today. Right. Also... If we think about those lost decades, the risk of those or the likelihood of those rise in the face of stagflation. So let's just take a second and really show why people are worried about stagflation. So one, the 10-year break-even inflation rate, which is a gauge of inflation expectations, has reached its highest levels since the 1990s, according to Goldman Sachs. Also, the inflation-adjusted real yields, so after we adjust for inflation, what are those real yields that bonds are giving off? Those are their lowest in decades. Uh, and then lastly, we have mentioned it, but the two and 10 year inching its way to inversion has already inverted. Um, so 
those are three indicators why people in the in the in the economy are looking that stagflation may be uh, closer than not. But to to your other point, Drew, I think you hit the nail on the head. Where if you want to reduce the risk of a sixty forty for investors, look to diversify real assets, so commodities, real estate, infrastructure, uh, also diversification of emerging markets, international markets, so you're not just focused on domestic equities and domestic bonds. And then high yield bonds are also convertible bonds are, are a couple of things that people can add to their portfolios to uh, try and generate more yield. There's been a lot of talk about I bonds recently. Uh, right now, they're sitting at a little over 7%. Some analysts think that, you know, with the new rates coming due in May, uh, they might they might be achieving a little over 9% actually, which you would definitely be getting some real rate of return on that. Uh, with, with I bonds, I guess my understanding is it's you're kind of maxed out at a ten thousand dollar deposit, and you obviously don't have that much liquidity. Uh, if you surrender, you you lose about you know three months of interest. Um, but but yeah, I mean at the same time, uh, it, it is an option that a lot of people are talking about to at least offset some of the inflation risk for. For a portion of cash, uh, I mean, obviously the big the big downside is it's very limited in scope, uh, ten thousand dollars. But you know, you you can get them off um, like the online auction. So that that's also another interesting, uh, you know, might be another interesting arrow in people's quivers as they're looking to to navigate in an inflationary environment. We did see utility stocks soar recently, so. Typically, when Treasury bill, excuse me, Treasury bonds are headed up and increasing, we typically see utilities stocks begin to struggle. Um, so normally, we see those longer dated Treasury yields move in opposite directions. So when the ten year rise, it makes the dividend yield on utility stocks uh, more favorable for for people. So recently we have or has seen that those two have been moving up in the same direction, which uh, typically is not what happens. No. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely been an outlier. Uh, you know, it's 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 obviously uh, when you're it's it's a favorite option among people who are looking at payouts with with less risk. Um, but but yeah, it, it, that's been an interesting, interesting dichotomy. Uh, kind of getting into the international spectrum, we haven't brought this up in a little bit, but I mean, Russia is looking at a potential for a default, be the first one in a century. Uh, I mean, they defaulted in '98, but that was on domestic debt. Uh, so, right, the last last default on foreign debt was right about the time of the 1917 uh, revolution. So, I mean, the cards are are in play. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about. You know, the, the U.S. has considered delisting Russia. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Russia appears to be delisting from foreign exchange students, uh, uh, foreign exchanges proactively. But, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be a massive blow, obviously, to the Russia's economy if, if they do end up defaulting. And, you know, we've seen rating agencies. S&P has downgraded its assessment of Russia's ability to repay this foreign debt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, definitely something that's coming up. One to look at is if they pay in rubles, does that count instead of dollars? Because I believe the 
bonds are denominated in dollars. So paying in those rubles may still even be considered a, a default because there's uh, from the FAQs here uh, from the S&P, it says if a payment is made in a currency, uh, not in terms of the obligation or in the place, we believe that the investor does not agree to the alternative payment. We deem this a default. So even if they do pay, have, make payment in rubles and it's not accepted and it's supposed to be in dollars, that could qualify as a default. And the big reason for that is uh, we've seen the U.S. recently and other West really clamp down on banks and freezing a lot of the central bank's foreign reserves, really trying to unplug Russia from this global financial system. Really, they are the most sanctioned nation, uh, and it happened pretty much overnight. Uh, the, the other thing to be on the lookout for is credit default swaps. So... There are people who bought credit default swaps on Russian bonds. So if that, if an event is triggered where they don't make a payment within their grace period, that would be a default. And, and the payers of this, of uh, the credit default swaps would have to occur. Uh, for those of you who don't remember what credit default swaps are, they were a big aspect of the 2008 bubble. Uh, but they are a derivative where an investor will swap the credit risk in, in return for making premium payments. So if all of a sudden they uh, credit event happens, they're covered. So you can effectively think of it almost as uh, as insurance uh, paying premiums in order to uh, be reimbursed if the lender does not uh, if the lender defaults. So could see a run there a little bit uh, on, on the credit default swap market as well. Yeah, right now, right now, from I see data services, they put it at a ninety percent chance that a default will happen this year. You know, speculations that Russia's only been able to avoid it for so long. When we're looking at dollar bonds that were serviced through rubles uh, this past week, uh, they have thirty-day grace periods. So whether the Russians found uh, find a workaround, you know, it's it's, it's all to be seen. But. Uh, but yeah, it, it would obviously be a big deal, uh, both you know from a market standpoint, but also it might change the trajectory of the conflict. I, the Russians have been kicked out of much of northern Ukraine. Uh, they've definitely recently made some progress in the east and cities like Mariupol, but you know they have to call up reservists. Uh, all this costs money. You know, especially if they need another hundred thirty-seven thousand reservists. Uh, which, which of course, the Russian government says has nothing to do with the conflict as it stands, but uh, that's the official position. Right. And we did see uh, Western nations really trying to reduce the reliance on Russian commodities, so gas and oil, but uh, we are still seeing that they are, Russia is still selling billions of dollars worth of oil and gas, keeping it with, with cash for now, even if we do try and cripple it. Um, you know, if Russia does default and continues down this way, it could be a very long time before they come out of default. If they default, that means really no access to international cap capital markets, higher borrowing costs, uh, really no investment, no growth from outside nations. It could have a really, really big impact over the next decade for Russia's economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially, you know, there's a lot of state-owned enterprises, too, in Russia. I mean, the state-owned rail, 
way operator is 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 definitely it's it's they failed to make a bond payment interest on time in March. Uh, so a lot of quasi state enterprises, but quasi private might go under too. Yeah. And, and I guess we should kind of ask what really took us so long. Do you think grant? Uh, I mean, we actually didn't end up fully delisting in Russia, but uh, you know, the London stock exchange uh, suspended pretty much within a week of Russia's invasion uh, the trading of 27 Russia-linked companies. Uh, why, why do you think our response was a little bit more lackluster uh, from the standpoint of exchanges? Good question. And I think there's a couple of reasons. You know, it, it is interesting to your point because not suspending them or delisting them, even though we we the capital markets may say you you can't you can't buy russian companies however they they are still within indexes they are still within etfs and mutual funds so then to to delist or to suspend the trading would have massive impacts on those markets that are holding those companies so even though we have froze the assets of the russia central bank or blacklisted uh sovereign wealth fund or some companies we haven't actually delisted or suspended so people can still trade um, options on them as well in the otc market or include them in etf so it is a bit of a workaround um, because there's a bit of a mismatch because you're if you're going to do an all-out band then you need to make sure that people still can't gain access through other financial instruments uh, i think that we if if it continues we will see a delisting of Russian companies here in the next coming up, couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And it, it appears that the Russian government's um, indicating that they might be voluntarily doing it on foreign exchanges um, themselves. So it might be like a be, silly move on their part. Yeah. Yeah. It might not, might not even be in our purview, but um, kind of cut off the nose despite the face, I guess. Uh, but what do you think we overlooked this week, Grant? Only one thing I'm looking out for, Drew, this week is we did see President Biden trying to fill the regulatory post at the Fed again. So he nominated Michael Barr, a former Obama administration official. Really, the reason for this is we saw that Sarah Bloom Raskin had her nomination pulled or or she pulled back her nomination really because of a lack of uh, support in the Senate. So it would be interesting to see if Michael Barr is able to push through. He is seen as uh, more moderate than Bloom Raskin. So uh, it, it will be something to watch to see if they can push him over the line. I'll be looking at the same thing. That was a political dynamic. Uh, Joe Manchin, you know, threw cold water on that one. He's taken a variety of positions that have infuriated both sides uh but but that is what it is it might be a suitable suitable alternative uh when they go back to the drawing board uh yeah maybe we'll see a confirmation but all right everybody i think that's it so thank you all for your likes and subscribes uh grant will be out of town next week but i will have a special podcast guest so we're excited for that um yeah and 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 until next time The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.